Welcome to the Shoot Hunt Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ryan Avery. Ryan Avery. And my color commentator today is Jake Mushady. <laughs> Are you ready? I've been ready since 9 a.m., sir. How fat is your ass today? I knew that was coming, and, I, and I, I'm embarrassed. You know, because you, you never want to say it can never happen. I mean, you know, the chances of getting violently murdered by a bunny are low, <laughs> but, but never zero. <laughs> We're bringing up some straight bullshit. Dude, if it ain't hunting clothes, my wife buys it for me. But your, your wife bought that color for you? I just said, give me some Crocs. She's just way too comfortable with your gayness then. Gosh, I got really long tongue. <laughs> All right, back at the Shoot to Hunt podcast. Uh, today we're talking a drop test. If you go to rockslide.com, there's an individual named Forum on there, and he started a drop test on scopes probably, what, two years ago-ish? For Rockslide was last winter. Last winter? Yeah. Okay. Last winter. Um, there's lots of questions. There's, you know, it's a kind of a 50-50, 50% believe, 50% don't believe. To me, it's the kind of thing until it happens to you. Then you'll believe once it does happen to you. A uh, form, can you kind of go into the parameters of the drop test? Oh, hold on, hold on. I, on another forum. <laughs> Are you saying forum or form? What is his? What, what's form. His, his name is form. Form, because it's for meldy meldy lotty dilly. And then you just said. And then you just said form. On another forum, <laughs> there's a certain guy that says, "I pay you." And Night Force pays you. <laughs> Is any of that true? No. One more time? No. I've never okay. made a single cent from any gun company, optics company, zero, period, dot. Just wanted to clear that up. Yeah. So So here we can make this real easy. Night Force doesn't make a single scope, single reticle that's usable for general purpose hunting. Okay. So you're yeah. not a Night Force fanboy. No, I don't care about anything. Okay, so we'll get to that part. Is go through the parameters of the drop test that you do on Rockside. Okay, so, well, I think the easiest way is to start back up. What's the purpose of a scope? To track and hold zero. It's to aim at a target mm -hmm. and hit that target, right? So the, the bullet impacts where the reticle or crosshair or whatever the aiming point is, right? Mm -hmm. So is there any way for a scope to work or do its job if the point of impact doesn't match the point of aim no there's no point so it doesn't matter how good the glass is or unless the features could, unless you could measure it and, and it was consistent consistently off sure quarters right but we're just saying i right. fire i fire a gun it was previously zeroed i shoot i miss and it's mechanically something's went wrong with the optic mm -hmm. is there any way is there any point where the scope is so clear it doesn't matter no. no, no, it has a singular purpose, and all other all other effects or all other things that the scope does is second to its aiming ability. That's what it is. It's not an observation device. It's an aiming device. Okay, I don't care if my binos come out of collimation because they get dropped, right? As long as I can refocus them and they work, it's fine, right? Uh, scope coming out of collimation, which is the reticle losing zero or the scope losing zero in some way, that's a problem. Right, so if we start from a scope is an aiming device primarily and only until that has been established, then we're good. If, if 
we have three scopes and they hold one hold zero. They all hold zero. Well, I'm going to pick the best one that has the best glass probably or whatever out of those three, but holding zero is primary thing. Um, to, to just talk about the glass real quick. Yep. Anybody in this room of the three of us, have you seen a scope that's a legitimate scope brand mm-hmm. not take you to pass shooting light in the last five years? No. Okay. Jake, have you seen that? Ask your question again. Have you have you put a scope to your <laughs> eye that's from a reputable scope manufacturer that can't take you past legal shooting light? Oh, definitely not. So the, the glass thing's a non-starter for me. So anyways, I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, and, and it comes in, but it's much like other subjects we're probably going to talk about. The difference in glass, quote-unquote glass, and are we talking color rendition, resolution, clarity, liquid brightness, they're the last 1%, right? Like it's the last itty bitty part of that scope that makes a difference. And it's like, yay, I got 1% better glass. Or I got glass that makes it, that 1%, I nailed it because I bought the best glass in the world. Sweet, your gun doesn't hold zero. How does it help you? <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. So I would just say when we start this is, I think one of the reasons you and I get along is because you'll call me out And then I immediately say, let's go to the range and show it. Right. Right. Like from what you've known me over the last five years or whatever, we've known each other. Do I care about brands or anything else in any way? Nope. Could care less. If, if X scope company that's done terrible comes out with a baller scope that works, I'll switch immediately. All I have to say to that is you're an SWFA fan. Oh my God. Ugliest (laughs) fucking scope on the planet. This guy loves them. And he's he should get paid from them because he sells a shit ton for them. So you can tell you don't care about looks. You don't all you care about is form and function. Well so so there's the there's the the big thing in that part is how embarrassing is it to optic manufacture that there's this company that is selling, they're not making, they're selling a scope that costs two hundred and nineteen dollars right now that as an aiming device beats out almost everyone else regardless of price. That's embarrassing. That's not a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing for some people. Why, why does it beat them out? What about it? Well, so reliability, durability. So that goes into the, the drop eval. So if we say an op, a scope's primary purpose is an aiming device, and un, until it does that correctly, and then that correctly part, and until is, is up to debate, then the, the rest of its attributes doesn't matter to me. doesn't matter to anyone. shouldn't, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, if I think anyone that shoots, right. So we know like, what's the first thing I get a gun, everything's good. I go on a hunting trip. What's the first thing I do when I land in a plane, if I can't, before I go hunting, right. Check zero, check zero. If I miss an animal, what's the first thing I want to see zero check zero. Right. If I drive across the country, check zero, like no matter what we do before season, check zero. So my question there is if. Scopes are reliable and guns are reliable. Rifles are reliable. Or are why do checking? we? Why do we have to check zero? Yeah. Like the the question, the answer is in the question itself, or the question is the answer, right? So if you want to say, well, that's because guns move. Okay, but we can isolate that too, which we'll get into, right? Since we're specifically talking about scopes, we'll just talk. Well, the rifle doesn't move, right? We'll just say that. We'll start from that point. We can talk about how to make that happen, but. We intuitively know that optics lose zero. The system loses zero, 
right? If we're just going to talk optics, we know the optics lose zero, which is why we need to check zero so often. Mm. I don't know of anyone that hunts, you know, that isn't a rank beginner, right? And you could be a 20-year rank beginner or you can be a, uh, you know, I just started shooting and hunting this year, right? And I don't say any of this with like emotion or arrogance or anything else. I'm just trying to, just kind of a data-driven perspective on it, right? Like it's just blunt what we're talking about. So I don't know anyone that's not a rank beginner that hasn't had a scope lose zero, right? But when it happens, what, what happens is they go, oh, my gun lost zero. Like it's okay. The miss is okay at this point because it's not on me, right? Now, are there people that use that as an excuse and lie about it? Sure. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about something happened. I checked the guns off zero. Why do we accept that? Why is that okay? That's like I go out to my Toyota right now and it doesn't start. Well, that's not okay to me, right? But we people accept scopes, which we'll talk about how we know my next statement is true. They accept scopes that have such low reliability that they would never accept their toaster oven being that finicky. Mm. You would never buy a $20 toaster oven that's as unreliable as optics are. I think, I think when you shoot and, and you realize that you're off zero, it's like the troubleshooting process begins. That's you, correct. You're yep. not exactly sure what you don't have faith in at that point. And you, you may swap to a scope you think is good, or you may go check your action screws, or it's it's simply like a troubleshooting process begins. But you're right. It is, it is so common that it's somewhat accepted. Yes, I think that's it, right? It's, it's so bad. Everybody knows it's bad that subconsciously we just say, well, that's life. Mm-hmm. Right. But then that goes into, well, my idea, my history, and I think ours, no, I don't accept that. That's not cool. If that's the reality, I'll shoot iron sights. Right. So it actually makes really good rifles stand out. Like I have a three and a rum rifle that just seems to, no matter what, it just keeps fucking killing. It yep. doesn't lose zero. Shit stays tight. No matter how much you check it and recheck it, it does what it's supposed to do. And it's, but that you're right. That's how it should always be. Mm-hmm. But we don't, we don't see that. So it makes those type of rifles stand out as like a, a shining star in the, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's and the whole thing is the problem, right? The whole idea and understanding and like we, like you said, people don't believe until it happens to them. Until people experience a system that does not lose zero, they don't believe it's real, right? Or they believe. Well, my gun stays zeroed because I shoot it and it's an inch high every year, right? And then you look at the targets and it's like, no, this year it was an inch and a half high. Last year, that two shots or three shots was three quarters of an inch high. The next year, it was an inch and a half to the left, but it was kind of still high. Like those aren't zeros, right? So kind of tangent off, but all this is going to be a tangent because it's all... But it's, it's, it's a Venn diagram is the problem. It's all coming together to what causes misses, and I think some of it's generational because your grandpa re-zeroed, your dad re-zeroed. Oh, yeah. So I guess at what point did they become shit is the other question. Well, generationally, yeah. maybe it, it could have to do with like ammunition, right? Like the guy doesn't have the same box of ammo. He started oh, yeah. last year and he yeah, switches yeah. ammo. So that, that that has a lot to do with maybe the generation. Well, and that, and, and that also goes into why people don't recognize their optics are losing zero. Because <laughs> as soon as I change... There's a point of impact shift in almost all ammunition made that some manufacturers are building ammo, making ammo now that has a spec 
to how much MOA shift they allow from lot to lot. Gotcha. But most ammunition, when I say most, if they're not publicly saying it's consistent from lot to lot and point of impact shift, they're not measuring it for that. So you can take, I don't want to, I'm going to try to stay away from people, places, things, naming, right, mm -hmm. as much as possible. But you can take ammo that people think is exceptional. And from one lot to the next, it's a two to three inch shift at 100 yards. That is not uncommon. So if that's a thing, how do I know whether my scope is staying zero or not, right? So when we get into this, it's an understanding when we talk about this is when you, beyond what's happened beforehand, you when you provide ammo or I provide ammo for this, right, you're giving it to me in hundreds of hundreds of rounds at a time, a thousand rounds plus of the same lot of ammo, right? So when we talk about the stabilization of the system, we're, we're removing variables from it, right? So it all goes into generationally, they didn't shoot the same ammo. The ammo powder wasn't consistent from, from temperature to temperature, like we were talking about earlier with even humidity changing, standard deviation of muzzle velocity. Like all of these things start creating errors in the system, right? And so there was a point where it's like, you just, there was really no way to be stable from day to day. We're so far beyond that point now, there's zero excuse for allowing it to remain. Did it also become more critical because we started shooting farther and measuring more? Yeah. So one of the interesting things historically is if you go back and you read like the famous writers, so like um, Jack O'Connor, for instance, yeah. uh, Elmer Keith, they missed a lot. Like when you read their stories, I remember I was an adult when I finally read Jack O'Connor, like reread him. This is just a few years ago. And I'm reading one of his conglomerate books. Like they put all a bunch of different stories together. Dude, they missed or wounded like 30% of shots they took. So that's one thing. This idea that they shot one time and that was it and everything died. Well, that's not real. Read what they wrote, right? It's like Fred Bear. Like he's awesome in bow hunting. Mm, he blackened the sky with his arrows at times, flock. right? He's doing some flock shooting. Yeah. And, and so you do have that. So let's not put rose-colored glasses on the whole thing. Right. But all of this starts to matter. Once you start, the further the round, the further away you're shooting something, this starts becoming a, um, it starts stacking on top of each other, error upon error upon error, right? And it's like something, if you have just one error, maybe you can get away with it. You can kill the animal still, right? Even if you miss, you can, as you said, okay, I missed, but I saw the miss, I can account for it. The issue is it's generally not one error. It's three to five to seven to eight errors that are stacking on top of each other, which means you go from this is a highly probable makeable shot to almost zero chance of, of doing it correctly without a rodeo, right? So, okay, to answer your question, <laughs> sorry, it's a, there's a background circle. to it. Yeah, there's Full a background circle. to it. He set the stage. Set yeah, the scene. so what I – what I want to know is objectively, what does the optic do? Okay, so um, I think background slightly, a little bit more than what we talked about to understand why the quote-unquote test, right? It's not a test. Tests require large sample sizes, completely controlled variables, um, random variation, random trials, the whole thing, right? Like test is a word. This is more of like a field evaluation. That's why I named it field evaluation, why we did, right? <laughs> is I'm looking for what the optic does as an aiming device from a functional level. 
Okay, so samples of one don't tell you much. Okay, let me rephrase how I just said that. They don't tell you much in a positive direction. Okay, so as we go through this, keep this in mind, right? So if I have two cars, two car lines, one car line has a 99% success rate. So one car out of 100 has a major mechanical problem when measured in large sample sizes. And I have another car line that has a 50% success rate. So they have a 50% problem rate at 100,000 miles for both, right? Just for long-term use. What are the odds when you go to the car that has a 90, a 1% failure rate that you got the one failure? One in a hundred. Yeah. Okay. What are the odds that you get two in a row? Not very. It, so I'm not a statistical guy here, right? Like I have to deal with statistics in what I do in real life, but that's not my job or my field. It's infinitely less likely when you start talking three in a row. Dude, that's not, that's not a, oh, one doesn't mean anything. That's telling you there's an issue with the line. So a sample of one passing doesn't tell you a whole lot, right? It's an indication, but not much more. One failing is starting to point to it. Two back to back, you got a problem. Like you can know that right off the bat. Okay, so the, the evaluation, and we kind of changed it from how it was because we were shooting so much ammo just to get to the scope failing was we have a gun and we can let me know if you want to go into how that gun is set up so we know I that absolutely do okay so we take a gun right so there's so people like to say there's all these variables every time you bring it up there's always value you can't reproduce it basically is what they tell us okay so i'll say that's right now i'm happy to take any country any company that says it's bs we'll do it in front of you with a live rolling camera with 10 of your scopes and 10 scopes that work in a gun and watch and look and see the difference. This is something that this is, that is such a red herring or a fallacy. It's not even funny. Okay. So what is the variable in the rifle? So that would be action to stock or chassis movement, barrel to action movement, which is a thing when people are building guns or putting guns together, they're not torqued tight enough. And then the rail, or base mount to the action, then the rings to the base, and then the scope itself. Oh, then you say, oh, it's the shooter. The shooter's a variable, sure. Except that it's pretty easy to prove that anyone that's not having a seizure behind the gun is shooting to within 0.2-ish MOA of the gun system itself. Right, that's, that's not hard to prove. So if the gun's shooting one MOA, you're shooting 1.2 with you and Max. Back. Okay. Oh, so I actually know what mine is using a Wiseman, that 6,000-pound return to battery rust. Mm -hmm. Given a front and rear sandbags, it's less than a tenth of an MOA. And we're talking 500-round shot group sizes, not three-round groups or a couple of groups. 500 rounds stacked where every single round is being logged and measured with an ailer. Right? It's less than one-tenth of an MOA. So when I'm shooting it like I do in the quote-unquote test or the evals, it's way sub-quarter MOA. And I don't care because... That's inside of a click adjustment of a scope, so it doesn't really matter at that point, right? Like we don't, when we go through this, I'm not saying a scope failed because it shifted zero a quarter minute. Like, because it has to come back to functional, right? So the rifle, so what do we have? We have action to chassis, that's one uh, error, potential source of error, variability. Barrel to action, that's two. 
uh, scope rail to action is three, rings to scope rail is four, and the scope itself is five. Correct? Yep. Okay, so I probably messed it up because we're just kind of doing this ad hoc. Okay, so what happens if you take, so the action can move? Okay, weld the action to the chassis. So there's a rifle, if most people probably know this, Accuracy International, their original ones, were permanent, the action was permanently bonded to the chassis using, I don't even know what the compound they're used, but basically you just take a JV weld and gluing it together, right? Like you cannot pull it apart unless you heat the action up in an oven. There's nothing there. So the rifle that's being used is permanently bonded to the chassis. Like I might be able to give it to Jake and he might be able to get it apart, right? And I actually might do that. Him or Shane, when it comes time to to rebarrel this thing is like this one, we have bunches of them. I say we, the group I shoot with. Um, yeah, it's gonna need it's gonna need somebody to work on it to get it apart. <laughs> okay, so that's it. Now we have- We got a torch. We got a torch, yeah. <laughs> well, you know me, I don't really care to take a hammer to it. Um, so now it's barrel to action. Okay, one of the nice things about Tikas, and I just use them specifically, is they're pretty legendary for people unscrewing their barrels and how tight they are. You said Tikas are legendary. I just laughed. <laughs> you laughed. So, yeah. <laughs> I, just, I meant that the, the torque on the barrel, right? You need this like a six foot but long it, cheater bar. But you're not wrong with that it's, saying. It's, it, I, we, we've taken several off now. They suck. It's bad. Yeah. Well, what does that do? So what we know, having done this, this is, you can see this on multiple forums and I'm not using like appeal to authority, right? I'm just saying this is relatively common knowledge. There's this thing that a bar lock, where it's a quick change barrel system. And dudes were figuring out that like, if they bumped their barrel on a barricade, they were going to point of impact shift, mm. right? So this was a, a thing that's been, it's not just them. It's a lot. Like a lot of dudes are putting their were, I'm not sure how many are doing anymore. We're changing barrels like at the back of their truck, just doing hand tight and shooting mm. and then getting point of impact shifts, hitting barricades, right? So Tikas are somewhere between 80 and 100 foot pounds plus, and they're glued in generally. Yeah, plus plus some adhesive. Plus, yeah, yeah, right? So, okay, so we'll just say like, and we, again, all of this needs to be measured to make sure there isn't a point of impact shift later, but we're just addressing how. So the one I'm using currently, um, it's an old one, and it's put on with a lot of torque, and it's glued in. <laughs> like some of the newer ones aren't nearly as much; they're more like 180 to 100. This thing is like at 100; it's not even moving at a hundred foot-pound bar. Like it's not even coming close to moving. Okay, so we got that um, rail to action. So like Picatinny rail to the action. Just weld either it's integral or you weld it to the action. So mine is. Not welded, but it's using an industrial adhesive, and everything in that is screwed. So, like, everything was degreased. It was roughed up the surface, supposedly. I'm saying supposedly it matters. I don't know that it does. Um, so the action surface was rough. The underside of the rail was roughed up. And then this industrial-grade adhesive was poured into it. Not, like, just smoothed on a little bit. I'm talking like the screw holes themselves were filled with this taped on the bottom. Then the screws were put in. Again, you, you're, you're a torch. Maybe get it. Maybe we'll get it off. Mm. My guess is we're going to have to grind it off if we ever want it off. Okay. So that's as much as we can do. So then now 
we have a, a variability in the rings and the scope. So how do we prove out a system from a functional standpoint? We'll just find a scope when I mount it, it doesn't shift zero if I drop it. If I can do that consistently, then it can't be the gun, right? So that's kind of the setup. So then we'll like, that's the rifle setup. So then we can go into like the scopes and the actual eval. So we get the scope. The rifle is proofed with a scope and rings that are mounted the exact same way every time. But the rifle, that scope and rings stay together. Like it's just. You have like a preferred ring that you're using. You don't, you want, don't want to name names. Generally. No, I don't care. Like uh, on that, it doesn't seem to really matter. I will say we've had some. So uh, the Vortex, you know, PMR or whatever they are, precision matched rings. Like just any good Picatinny ring. Like we've had some issues, not to say it. I think it's a screw diameter thing, right? This gets into more like engineering, but. Some issues with like Seekins that have cracked where they use the two little screws in the bottom. Mm. Um, Zeiss seems to have some issues sometimes with impacts using the same scope that we know works and the rifle that works. But when you're talking like a Badger, a Night Force, a Warren Mountain Tech, anything that's just your kind of your standard Picatinny ring just seems to do fun, right? I can use a scope and a rifle that I know holds zero, mount the scope up correctly, and they hold zero with all these different rings. You know, so I don't, I think that's, it's way less of a variable than most people believe or try to put in there, right? As long as the ring is good quality and beefy, we're good. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you've seen the one that I dropped the most mm-hmm. um, that's been dropped thousands of times from head height. And I think it's using Burris XTR six screw rings from like, I think they were still made in Japan or some nonsense back then, but they might be made in China. I don't know. And like, it just, it doesn't matter. Now the scope is probably glued into those rings. It's never coming out, but, um, so we take the rifle, we proof it with a lot of ammo. So I shoot a 30 round group for an extreme spread, right? Statistical validity matters with all of this. This is not a single three shot. So that goes into a little group size thing. If we're going to have that conversation later, right? But more data is better than less data. Let's start it with that. Okay. And what the reason is, is I want to know if the scope loses zero. To do that, I know I need to know what the true cone of the gun is, the system is, right? So let's say for easy math, let's just say the 30 can you, round. Can you describe real quick what the true cone, <laughs> just, 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 just very quickly, just say, you know, visualize for the guys listening, true okay. cone. Okay, so I take, if we take a rifle in an underground tunnel, so completely environment controlled place, range. We take that rifle and we mount it in a machine that can return to within a hundredth of an MOA from shot to shot, completely eliminating a human out of it. There's zero human. And then I take that rifle and I don't care if you shoot it one round clean and you do that every round or you shoot a hundred rounds back to back or you shoot five rounds and clean. I don't care how you do it, but your group size continues to grow until the barrel is toast. So let's use something like trying to make it easy, right? Like let's say a gun has a quote unquote, and, and when we say barrel life, you're also talking about, are we talking precision? Are we talking extreme spread, mean radius, or velocity loss, right? But let's say a 6.5 Creedmoor, right? Your favorite cartridge. Let's say it has a 2,500 round barrel life. It's longer than that if you're just shooting practically, right? But let's say 2,500 rounds. 
you don't know what the true cone of that gun is until the moment you pull it off the gun. And then you can say for 2,500 rounds, it's a two MOA gun. It never missed a two MOA target or a three MOA target or whatever it is, right? Now, that that's the factual statement that you can't say my gun is a one MOA gun. Well, what does that, I mean, first off, what does that mean? Does that mean it, it shoots one shot within one MOA, it shoots 20 shots at one MOA, or is it, it will hit every single shot on a one MOA target at 100 yards or whatever, right? And words mean things, so we need to be very clear about what we're saying. So we're looking for something between I shot one round and I hit and so it's good and the barrel life is gone to measure the group size, right? Just like everything else, it's it has it looks just like your your standard distribution, right? So basically what you get to with any anything that is measured for statistical validity is 30 get you to 95%. 95% of any individual measurement will be within the first 30. 30 so data sets of the 30 same. 30 data sets of the okay. same thing. So I shoot a 30 round group, 95% of the shots out of that gun is going to fall within that 30 rounds, right? So if I draw a circle around those 30 rounds and I just keep shooting the gun, 95% of rounds will fall, right? And then you go, oh, it's one standard deviation plus or my, you know, whatever, right? Like this gets into the statistical thing, but it's, what it's saying is that if I shoot a 30-round group and I make a circle of that and I keep shooting the gun, if I shoot 100 rounds, no more than one or two rounds, more than likely, statistically, is going to come out of that 30-round group. Yeah, okay, you're right. It could be five rounds. But there's got to be a crossover point, right? And so... So that's the cone then. The cone. The, the cone. cone is like the mechanical capability of the system. If we're talking about in over its life, again, it depends on how you measure it. So what I want to know is if okay. So how do we determine if a gun loses zero? It didn't hit where it hit before. That's correct, right? So what happens <laughs> if I shoot? I shoot a gun and I go. It's a one MOA gun. I shoot a one inch dot. I drop it and it misses the one MOA dot next, and it's a quarter inch off at a hundred yards, right? And you're like, well, it lost zero, right? Because technically that would be like a three-quarter inch miss, three-quarter MOE miss, right, from center to where it hit. Well, the issue is you're starting with something you don't know what the true cone is. Like three-shot groups aren't – they're not statistically relevant, right? So let me out. This is how easy it is to demonstrate this piece, right? We're just talking the factual statement. So, Jake, I'm going to give you three random data sets about a stock – in the stock market, okay? Just three random pulled out from, from just randomly over the last 10 years. It all shows a good projection, like you're gonna, like it's return of investment. I'm not a stock broker, by the way, if that doesn't come clear. <laughs> are, you gonna, are you gonna liquidate your house, finance your house, and put all your money you owe, own everything you own into those three random data sets? No. No, what about five? Mm, maybe. <laughs> you're, you're a risky dude. <laughs> So if you ask the statistician this, they would tell you at 30, we're starting to talk. Mm -hmm. Because that's starting to mean something. Like, it doesn't matter what you measure. Like, real statistical validity, depending on what you, if you think 66% is statistical validity, bro, no, it's two out of three, man. And that's not enough for me, right? 95, 90 to 95% is where we start talking real, right? And you'll start seeing that come out. 
that's somewhere around 30 data sets, no matter the research project, no matter what it is, right? And keep in mind, I'm saying this as a functional knowledge of this. I'm not a statistician. I just have to deal with the nerds. Okay, let's not dive down the okay. group thing too much. So no, group thing is just, I need to know that as long as, if the gun will shoot 30 rounds in one inch, if I miss the one inch dot with two rounds in a row, that is a gun problem or a scope problem, not random variation. It's just shifting the noise out. So what you're looking at is real data, right? So we group the gun. Let's say, I'll use an example. The last lot you brought me was, I think, 1.3 or 1.4 for 30, 30 rounds. And people go, oh, my God, that's a minute and a half gun. This is 6.5 Creedmoor? No, it's a 308. Okay. So we use it. So 308, that's another thing because people ask why 308. Because it has the longest stable barrel life, right? 223 does as well. The issue is you'll also see that 223 doesn't create enough recoil because recoil effects on scope losing zero and or breaking is a real thing. Even a braked 308 has enough movement in the gun that you'll start seeing like recoil effects happen to the scope. So you can mount some scopes and no dropping, just shooting on a 22 long rifle and they'll just last for years and years and years and tens of thousands of rounds. Put them on a 223, they break in 100 rounds. <laughs> and it's the same thing. To be clear, you can do the same thing. Like some scopes that last for 100 rounds fine on a 308, you put them on a 30, 378 that weighs six pounds and it shears the scope off in 10 rounds, right? There's got to be a median there somewhere. So 308 gives us thousands upon thousands upon thousands of rounds of barrel life without ever cleaning, which is a whole nother subject. But what it does is I can zero, like this gun went over 4,000 documented rounds with the same scope, everything. And from the time it was zeroed with 30 rounds to when I we changed load, we changed lot numbers, it never lost zero. Like I could never change a single tenth across those 4,000 rounds to account for zero, right? And it's muzzle velocity, so standard deviation and extreme spread were almost identical to when it started, right? So like people, lots of people argue with this. Uh, all I'm saying is, is, are you repeating something that you've heard or you tried it, right? So one of the things that we get is, I can try anything I want, right? So we use a 308, provides a little bit of recoil, massive barrel life, right? Because if I'm shooting a six Creedmoor or a six UM or a 33 XC, dude, how many variables am I dealing with? The barrel life is measured in hundreds of rounds, maybe even low thousands. And when we start talking about longevity of an optic, you're going to see that doesn't work to show that the scope works, right? We can't shoot it for 300 rounds and call it good. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we shoot a cone like this last lot, I think it was 1.3 something, but it's basically sub 1.4 for 30 rounds. Now, to be clear, we measured, I measured that. I said, me, I had a buddy there. Every three round group was averaging at like 0.4 inches. Like the average for, for 10 three round groups in order was like 0.4. So it's a half minute gun if you consider three rounds a group, right? So there's, as you shoot more, the group gets bigger. That's all it really amounts to, right? And it stabilizes somewhere between 10 and 30. Sure, it's not a flyer? Oh, it's, yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> um, okay, so kind of to start, as we were talking about earlier, is what I said earlier. For something to be real, it has to be provable, right? You have to be able to prove it. Okay, if we agree with that, yes, it has to be provable. Okay. 
then for it to be real, it should also be repeatable, correct? So if I do the same thing, I get the same result, okay? And then other people should be able to repeat the same test or, or research or project or whatever using the same standards and get the same result, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, that satisfies the quote-unquote scientific method. It doesn't, but in this conversation, I'm, I mean real science, not science TM, quote, unquote, <laughs> right? So, so I shoot this gun, and it shoots with a scope that is known and works. Um, by the way, it's a scope that's completely glued together internally, right? There's only one of those on the market, but it you know, doesn't break. I can. It's a Night Force mil spec. Yes, right? So it shoots 1.3, 1 1.4. We'll just say 1.4. Um, for 30 rounds with that ammo, if I shoot a shot, that's, if I shoot, uh, if I take that scope off, I'm out another scope and it's groups are two MOA. Would you say it's the gun or the, or the, uh, scope scope scope, right? And then how would we know? Well, we would remount the scope, the bad scope, quote unquote, shoot it. And if it's still shooting two MOA, okay, we put the test scope back on and it groups back to 1.3, 1.4. Do you have a, a minimum? amount that it needs to shift like you said it was 1.4 sub 1.4 yeah what does it take for you to call the scope bad 1.5 1.6 so like because percentage? so that's a great question and because even 30 rounds isn't enough to encapsulate all encompass all the rounds basically what i do with this scope is so this last one it's uh this gun with most of the ammo that we're getting and shooting is 1.2 to 1.4 moa for 30 I just use an inch and a half dot at 100. So if a round, if it's zeroed and a round comes off that inch and a half dot, it lost zero by at least 0.2 MOA, right? 0.2 of an inch. I mean, that, again, we're, we're absolute versus functional, right? And we'll talk about functional and what that means because it's, if you accept absolutely zero shift in a scope, that doesn't physically break the scope. So like, yes, you could take any scope, jump it, drop it off a cliff onto a rock, break an eyepiece off, right? I'm not saying that's right, good or bad. I'm just saying that's reality. There's no scope that can handle that repeatedly. But normal use, if you say zero shift whatsoever, no matter what happens to it, there's one scope. That's it. That's the entire market, just so we're clear. But that's not really functional either because functional is I take a shot and I miss because the gun missed or the optic missed, Right. I, if I'm going to miss, it should be due to environment. I think where that's where a lot of people on rock slides struggle is they see that little minute shift. They're like, aha, aha, I got you because it shifted. So it's all these scopes move. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, do, you know a, I'm, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Right. Because you, and it's also people want to believe what they believe. Right. And so I have been pretty, pretty open with certain people like, hey, let's just go to the range. I'll show you. Like, you can shoot yours, you can shoot the gun, I don't well, care. Isn't, isn't that how you guys met in the first place? How did we meet? It was something about, uh, I didn't believe you on something, so then you sh you showed me. That's what I'm saying. What we, was it? I think, think it was something, there's triggers or something. Yeah, we argued for a while, and then motherfucker proved me wrong. So. And then he said, I'm going to show you. Yeah. That, <laughs> I am not a, I was strong in my beliefs on a lot of things, and I will say form has changed my mind on some, but there's still some that are just bullshit. <laughs> No, and that's the thing, right? So um, so we're clear, like my personal outlook is I'm always trying to find where I'm wrong, right? Like there's a difference between being right and being correct. 
I can convince an Eskimo that the ice I'm selling him is a good deal. That's right. Doesn't mean it's correct. Right. right? So I go into all of this legitimately and truly trying to find the air. I don't care what something does. Right. Because if it breaks or it doesn't work, I just go to the next thing. Like some people drink, some people race cars. I shoot. Doesn't matter to me. And we still haven't gotten into the actual. I know. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So we take the gun. It shoots 1.4. So we're just going to make it easy. I'm going to use one, one and a half inch dots. Okay. Right. Um, I mount the scope on. It's mounted. The, the whole mounting thing's there. And there's a crap ton of rounds that went into. When I say a crap ton, I mean into the hundreds of thousands in my group to finding things that don't lose zero. Right. So it's mounted a certain way for a reason. Um, and then we just start zeroing it. So we bore sight, shoot. Bench rest, off the ground. Yeah, usually, pod, usually, it's, usually it's a it's a sandbag on a on a brick or ammo can or whatever on the front, a sandbag in the rear. Make sure you keep that mic close. Okay. So yeah, it it it's prone in the field, just like anybody could do at anything. It's no like mechanical rest, right? And the reason being is because the group size the, the center doesn't shift. So the mean point of impact, the actual center of all the groups, all the rounds fired doesn't shift based on the rest, just the size does. So I don't particularly care. There's not much difference. That same gun, if it's if I'm shooting 1.4 for 30 with the same ammo off this field, quote unquote, rest, when I put it in a legit bench rest setup, like bags, the whole thing, it's like a 1.2, 1.3. It doesn't change that so much. So guys can't really discount this because of shooting position or style or anything like that because when you prove when when you proved the rifle the first time with your 30 shot group, it mm -hmm. was shot the same way that you're mm -hmm. judging it after the fact. Yes. So that's how you eliminate, you know. Yeah, and we we started shooting from like when we when we did this initially, we started shooting from legit Pinterest. Because of that variable, once we were able to use a Wiseman and actually find that the guys, people that can shoot are holding sub sub quarter minute from the baseline of the gun. We're talking about like reticle movement. It's kind of like, what's the point? It's smaller than the diameter of the bullet. Who cares? Right now you don't want to take that too far. Cause then you say, who cares about everything? But I can't take, especially, you know, where we live in the mountains, I can't take a massive bench rest with me everywhere, but I can take the same front rest, sandbag and rear bag and replicate that. Right. So, as soon as we start shooting it, if the scope's got a reticle in it, we measure the first shot off the reticle, measure it to center, right? Just like a tape measure three inches in front of your eyes. That gives the first indication whether the scope works or not, right? So it should, if I shoot around and the gun is shooting, say, 1.5 inches, right? But it's 1.4, but one and a half minutes at 100, um, well, one and a half minutes period, but we're shooting at 100. That means when I measure that round and I shoot the second shot, it should be no more than 0.75 inches away from any, that's the biggest error it can have, correct? Well, technically, I guess you could say it could be 1.5 inches. You could have a, a round that's the top left round in the cone. Yeah, the far and extreme the, yeah, for your it, first and second. It, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? So basically, you get you can get a, a feel right off the bat on the second shot, right? So we shoot one, measure it, adjust, and then shoot the next nine. Right, the form of group. Yeah, it's nine, not ten or whatever. Sometimes we'll shoot ten just to see. Okay, is that group size inside of like when you look at it, is it inside the the cone that the gun shot to begin with? So one point four. Yes. So then make a final adjustment. 
right? So it's important to understand that we zero generally, like when we're doing this, because we don't have unlimited ammo. If a scope, to put this in perspective, a scope works can be shot for 3,000 rounds. So every scope that works gets shot for 3,000 rounds. So that's 3,000 rounds coming out of Ryan or my bank account. Right, like we're we're in the in, we're over ten thousand dollars between the two of us in ammo right now, right? Just so that's all in the in the clear. Nobody, you've given some ammo, Jake has, right? But I don't think anything for the drop eval yet. Don't think um, so. so. We don't. What we're looking for is mean point of impact from center shift and adjustment. I don't really care about the total group size. In other words, if a ten a ten round group will show me within one-tenth of a mil, so 0.3 of an MOA, inside of a click of where the center is with this gun. So in other words, if I shoot a single 10-round group and I adjust off the center, I'm going to be no more than a tenth of a mil, like inside of one click on the scope. I can't shoot 30 rounds because we just run out of, I mean, that's 1,000 rounds plus per scope that doesn't work, right? So shoot 10 rounds, adjust, then generally if if we'll shoot one round at least, but generally we shoot another 10 rounds at another dot to make sure it's centered up, right? So that's 19 or 20 rounds for a zero check. Okay, yes, the scope is zeroed. Slip the turrets, right? So they're zeroed out, all that, and we go to another target that's got the drop target on it. So generally you shoot one round. That just to make sure it hits the dot. Yes, one round with nothing on this fresh target, nothing's been shot, the round hit the dot. And then it's, a right side, top side, left side drop from 18 inches, and then a shot. Say that one more time. So it's a right side drop from 18 inches. We shoot around. A left side drop from 18 inches. We shoot around. A top drop. So it's falling on the top of the scope so from 18 rifle, inches. You got the rifle upside down. Correct. You drop it. Yep. Okay. And it's just, it's held at 18 inches and let go. Oh, my God. There's a variable. Okay, sure. Um, <laughs> there is, but it when teased out and shot over large, large sample sizes, it doesn't matter, right? They're the reason these, like the heights and everything were selected was because it falls within normal variation. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So if it, we shoot those three rounds and then we do the same thing from 36 inches. So one drop on each side of the scope. And then we do three drops from all three sides. So nine drops total of the, of the last one. So that's f 15 drops, right? From 18 inches to 36. And all we're looking at is if I got a one and a half inch dot, if the scope shifts none and I'm shooting a 1.4 MOA cone, right? And I got a 1.5 MOA target, there should be no rounds that come out of that dot. If it does come out of the dot, as we shoot the group, you'll see it, and we just keep shooting. We don't adjust. If it, if this is one of the things we kind of adjusted due to round count is we don't – if it misses the dot or it loses zero, we don't stop. We just keep going and finish this, you know, nine rounds of being shot and 15 drops just to see what happens. Okay, and then like this scope did the last one, the prototype, mm -hmm. um, it looked like it showed a shift. We just kept shooting, and then we would proofed it out on after the drop test, went to another target, shot a 10-round group, right? And we could see, oh, yep, it did, in fact, shift a tenth of a mil. Okay, so that's a third of an inch, basically, 0.36 of an inch. So if there's no shift, 
Then we go into a return to zero test. So we go to another dot, shoot around, dial up 500 mils, down for up and down 500 mils, shoot a shot. And we do this for 10 rounds. So you're talking between between 2,500 and 3,000 mils dialed into a scope or whatever that is in MOA, right? I, you'd have to do math in public, right? So a lot. A lot. It's, a, it's just a lot. It's when I dial it up and dial it down, does it return to zero? And what you see with a lot of scopes, so first off, the amount of scopes that pass the drop eval and don't shift uh, are in the single digits. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, right? The amount of scopes that what, the reason we started doing the drop eval first because that's where everything fails. But you'll have scopes that seem to work correctly, but when you dial them up and down, up and down, up and down, and return to zero, their return to zero group, so that first shot after the dialing, creates an elongated vertical group, right? Because a scope is a, the erector tube is a tube inside of a tube with some springs or a spring and two micrometer knobs that you call the turrets. Right, like the fact that any of them work is in, insane to me. But so if it passes that, it returns to zero correctly. The quote unquote tracking the adjustment test, which is two two dots spaced, whatever distance apart. So first off, to measure true precision, you don't live fire shoot it. Like that is just there's too much error in there. You're trying to tease out the difference of a one percent tracking error, right, or two percent. But your group size is like, when you start looking at 10 mils, your group size is like 10% of the tracking, right? It's kind of ridiculous. It's not that much. But however, so the real way to do it is you do a static tracking board and make sure and watch every tenth of a mil as you're measuring or every quarter MOA as you're measuring, as you're clicking up and it move up the board. You notice any flat spots, weak spots, like sometimes, okay, at 10 and a half minutes, it was tracking correctly. And then from 10 to 11, it gained 4%. And then it went back to tracking correctly, right? And we just call them flat spots. So you look at any inconsistency. Then you need to do the same thing shooting because recoil affects scopes. So from a functional perspective, due to multiple people, and some pretty well known in the community, most scopes adjust like as they're, they're tracking, quote unquote, accuracy really close. Like if it's less than 2%, which for mils, that's like 9.8 mil. If you dial 10 mils, you get 9.8 mils of movement or 10.2 mils of movement. If I'm doing my math right. Um, who cares? Right? Because there's no the scopes that track 100%. Yeah, there's some of them. But it doesn't mean like if a scope is off more than about 2%, there's something probably wrong with that scope. What's shown out is like, yeah, the scope seems to do okay, but it's 5% off. It seems to generally show that at some point that scope screws up big time, right? There's a there's a spec for allowable tracking or adjustment precision, and it isn't zero for anyone, right? Or I don't know of any company that it's zero. There's a spec. It's a plus minus percent. Two percent seems to be well, and then if that if it does that well, it does the the precision, um, the regular group size, the drop test, the return to zero, and the adjustment then that scope just gets shot for 3,000 rounds. It gets mounted on a gun, zeroed with the same lot of ammo, and then it is just used for 3,000 rounds, which is the number we kind of came to that we needed. Because one of the things is like shooting, I don't understand why this is not realized, but every round on a scope is like one mile on a vehicle. 
So when you're like, oh yeah, I've got a scope, it works great. Well, how many rounds you got on? Well, I got like 70, it's working great. Dude, you bought a new vehicle and drove it from the dealership to your house and you're saying it's a durable, reliable vehicle. Or, or the other side, whether you put up a used scope for sale and nobody yeah. ever asked how many rounds you got on that scope. Could <laughs> yeah. be fucking 27,000 rounds on that night for a scope. Just so we're clear, if you buy a scope from me, it works. <laughs> Don't buy a scope. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a Toyota. It's a Hilux. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, don't get the what's it was Don't get the Carfax on that thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Carfax. Um, yeah, that's kind of. I think that's the quote unquote eval that gets the most part, and then it's subjective. Do I like the turrets? Do the turrets feel good? Do the so reticle looks good, etc. Every time that you talk about a scope test that you're doing with with that, you guys have fired. 3,000 and something rounds through that fucking scope. Yep. If it works. This isn't what? The, the, the people that's funniest to me is when, and I'm not knocking these people, but they think it's just willy-nilly. We're just out here fucking dropping scopes and just hoping they work. What, <laughs> what, what, percentage, what percentage of the scopes that you guys have tested together have actually passed this test? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and with that question, I would ask that what percentage, what percentage need to pass to say that your test is not too stringent. Okay, so this is... In other is, words, if you dropped yep. it from fucking 10 feet, then yeah. every scope fails, well, hey, maybe I'm dropping it too high. Like, what is so, the pass percentage yeah, to say gotcha. you're doing yeah, it right? Yeah, that's a, that, so these are the questions that very few people ask, and that's actually the, the question to ask, yeah. is one, how are you... How is this correlated? And I use that... I'm using that term correctly. That is... I can measure that what we're seeing here measures out and matches what we're seeing in field from just use. So there's a couple of things that happen. So the drop eval isn't just like the, because it's an evaluation. The drop part is just part of it, but that's everything everybody wants to talk about because nobody else does this, right? Like when you see a scope evaluation, I'm not knocking anybody. I get it, right? People, I'm shooting a 308. Right, you're buying ammo, I'm buying ammo, whatever the case may be. That's a buck around, give or take. And they're like, dude, I'm not shooting $3,000 worth of ammo. Great, but then my question is, why are you talking about how the scope works? If you're not going to drive a vehicle and use it, I'm not being a... I, I don't talk about lots of stuff that I do, right? I don't shoot archery nearly as much as I used to. I don't shoot 30, 50, 80,000 arrows or whatever. It used to be thousands of arrows in a few months like I used to, so I don't talk about bows, right? I'm not gonna talk about something that I'm not doing to an extremely high level with high volume. I don't wanna, if I want a reliable vehicle, I wanna talk to people that's got 400,000 400, miles on their vehicles. Hey, as we're as we're talking through all this, I realized that we, you know, s setting the stage for the listener to understand, my one of my questions would be why are you test like who's financing the testing or what is the purpose of the test? <laughs> no, I understand, but yeah. but at some point somebody's going to ask like you guys are just testing scopes because you enjoy it. Like what? So I have rockslide.com for sure. Scope for sure. Review products. I had been dropping scopes before I met literally and I don't want to shit on brands in here. I just want brands to work. But they're Leopold scopes. I was saying it before before Forum came on there. I was saying, "Hey, I'm having problems with Leopold scopes. Everybody told me I was stupid. Why am I re-zeroing my, my Leopold every time I go to the range? So I was doing kind of, kind of, you know, not sign, not near as much as Forum's doing his little test, but 
the test I were doing I mean, was what no, I... There's no little test. <laughs> no, but I mean, that's, I was kind of mocking it into the little <laughs> test. <laughs> because there's guys online that keep saying, oh, these little tests. Well, if well, you... I, know, I, know, I know why you're doing okay. it. We, every, okay. All the listeners are going to know why you're doing right. it. Okay. I guess the real question is... Why are you testing? Like, give a little bit, give a little bit of background why you're doing what you do and what what is the background behind it. So, on the personal side, like my personal, little, like oh. my my personal life, I hunt a lot, right? Like, so forget whatever I do in real life or whatever Ryan does in real life. We hunt a lot. So basically, from mid September, first of October through February, there's very few days we have off that we don't hunt. On top of that, the group I'm around are competitors. So whether it's PRS, not so much anymore for various reasons, USPSA, three gun, the group I'm, I shoot with, we're like of their own personal accord, they're shooting 30 to 50,000 rounds of ammo a year, hmm. right? Because they're trying to win national championships. Okay. So the impetus for all of this was I'm hunting. And my, I'm missing animals I shouldn't be. So one of the, like, personality-driven-wise, I don't like excuses, so I'm 100% performance-focused. I don't really care what something looks like, tastes like, sounds like. I just want it to work, right? So if I miss an animal, it's not like, oh, shucks, that's hunting. That doesn't work for me. I'm figuring out why. So generally, it's the shooter, right? Like, we miss due to the biggest source of error. Generally, it's the shooter. That got me into competition, Right. Some other stuff I do, I have done in my life and do in my life also was part of that. When I fail, I'm the problem generally. So then I start competing, not saying this in any way, but I'm no longer the problem on this shot. I missed, but it wasn't me. This piece of equipment failed. I went to a three gun match that I was winning as not, not as a, like a appeal to authority, just an example. And I had three scopes go bad in three days. And when I say go bad, I'm talking about from working correctly to when I check zero because I shot a 12-inch steel plate at 300 yards like 30 times trying to hit it. The, the, the scope is shooting shotgun patterns at 200 yards, like 10, 12-inch groups at 200 yards, right? So every time that happened, it was a learning. What caused it? How do I fix it? So... Understanding that the, the huge round count started from the human is the problem. Everybody intuitively knows that takes archery seriously. You shoot every day or every other day and hundreds of arrows, thousands of arrows a year, right? Thousands upon thousands. Nobody does it with guns unless they're competitors. And I don't understand that. It's the well, same there's thing. A there's a cost element there. 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I understand the cost. I'm yeah. saying just from even people that could shoot it financially, mm. They don't link the two together. If you want to be being truly competent with a bow and arrow at 60 yards is no different than being truly competent with a gun at 600, right? If it takes 5,000 arrows a year to truly be competent at 60 yards with a bow, it takes 5,000 bullets to do the same thing, right? There's a correlation there. So for me, it started because my group was tired of losing opportunities, whatever that opportunity might be, due to equipment failing. First us, which then it was fixed. Fine, we'll we'll start shooting massive amounts of ammo and fix the human. Then the element. Then it became, okay, things are failing, but it shouldn't. I, I'm tired of them failing in the moment. How do I 
Nobody tests equipment. Just so we're clear, I've said this. I've been, I and other people I know have been to a lot of the manufacturers' facilities. You know what I've never seen at a scope manufacturer's facility except for two companies in the world? Pallets of ammo sitting there. (laughs) It doesn't exist. Yes, there are two companies that have pallets of ammo sitting there. It's not hard to figure out when we talk, like, who those two companies is. One is generally thought of as a hunting company, and one's not. Well, at least not in America thought of as a hunting company. Right? Ding, ding, ding. Their scopes generally, or their optics generally work. Right? So you go to these companies, that's something that people need to understand, is the reality is they're not testing it like you believe they're testing it. So... I don't enjoy any of this. The scopes and optics are the biggest bane of my existence, (laughs) right? Like I don't take any pleasure in reloading or building or testing. Like, dude, I want my ammo to come in a 20 round box is 840 rounds to a can, (laughs) right? I want the crap already mounted and I don't have to worry about it. That's what I want. I shoot. I don't do anything else. I don't care about the other stuff. When I, when I asked you why you keep doing this, do you remember what you said? Oh, I don't know. There's you said lie. because you don't want to stop because then they'll relax and build shit. Oh, yeah. Was, is is the, uh, the fighting against the tide thing. Yeah. Right? So it is unequivocal that you can look in the last six years or so, from six years ago to where we were in the industry and where some of these companies were to what they're doing now, and there's a clear shift. I mean, there's one that we talk about that... Now on their website, they talk about scopes are drop tested to make sure they retain zero for 1,000, 3,000, and 5,000 rounds. May, 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 maybe it's on them, right? They, nobody knows it's a problem. Nobody can ask the manufacturer, right? All gun writers and podcasters do is talk glass and features and cost and warranty and all this nonsense. I just want the stuff to work. So if, if I could be done with it and when I buy the thing, I know it works, that's awesome. I'm done. I don't care. Right. But it's like you and I talk about the frustration of it. It's like, dude, if nobody, if, if we stop talking about it, unfortunately the candle goes out. Like it's just the expanse of space with no light. <laughs> it's, a, it's terrible. <laughs> you got to hold them accountable. Well, it's something needs to be out there. Right. And the issue is how many people, this is one of the things that people need to understand. How many things have we done that you have sponsors on the website that doesn't make them look good? Lots. Yeah. But but that's why guys like Rockside. Yeah. So I started posting on Rockside because somebody suggested I go over there because of these things, right? It wasn't the scope test. It was, you guys were talking about packs were destroying themselves, right? Cliff tested and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was kind of it. It was like, hey, and then we knew somebody, one of our mutual buddies, and he's like, no, Ryan's legit. He's good. And I'm like, I don't really want to go over there because they're not going to like what I have to say. And it wasn't like I wanted to project what I'm saying to anyone. I get a ton of help and a ton of information off forums. Well, I can get, I can, one of the problems I have is an object not working for my own use. And if it's just me screaming about it or like five to 10 dudes, it doesn't work. Right. When you get more people understanding, dude, scopes can hold zero. Right. So that's kind of the why on a personal level is because it affects me. good. So going back to the test and and how stringent, (laughs) going back to the, 
how stringent your test is. Like, so, so yeah. when I first heard when Ryan said, hey, yeah, we do this scope drop testing shit, you know, <laughs> and he tells me that you fucking take a scope and you drop it from 18 inches and in all three caps, and then you take it from three feet and do the same thing, and then you guys are shooting it to make. I think to myself, I would never drop my fucking scope like that. Ever. And, and to be clear, it's not on fucking concrete. Like everybody thinks yeah. it's just yeah. crazy. Yeah, lay that part out too. We didn't. Okay, so it the. All right, so you kind of have to understand why we're doing it the way we're doing it and the surface we drop it on. It has to go back to kind of how we came up with that to begin with, right? So what we had is in, in the group, whatever the scenario and, and location it was, there were combinations of guns, so guns, optics, etc., that we would shoot entire barrels out and never have to change. Like you talked about your 300 PRC, I think you were talking about. Mm. It was a 300 PRC earlier that just never misses. 300 rum. 300 rum. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Uh, so people think I don't like big guns, and that's a lie. <laughs> um, they just never failed through horrendous use. And it just... Eventually, with enough use, you start seeing patterns. This type of gun with this type of scope, aka brand, just seems to work. Right? Nothing is nothing is 100% failure free, right? There's a failure in everything. Everything's got a failure rate. But when you see large amounts of stuff used, you get to kind of come to a you know, an empirical conclusion, if you will. So then the the question was, okay. Why are these things working? So this combination works in her, in real world use used heavily. So, you know, just the way we hunt and the way we shoot, like a year of our use is probably like 10 years of even really hardcore people, right? Maybe five years of really hardcore. So when you're talking like five to 10 years of our use and I've got optics and guns actions that have been used since like 2005, that's a lot. I mean, there's a couple of scopes that you can see pictures of that we stopped logging the rounds at 140,000 rounds on them. Holy moly. Right? So the question was, I don't want a failure in the field, but I'm not going to keep using the same thing from 2005. So how do I replicate that big, longer-term use in a condensed time frame to have a, a reasonable expectation that it'll continue working? Right? So... I don't want to just say, yeah, I shot it, zeroed it, worked fine, let me go hunting, and then find out it loses zero randomly, right? And I don't want to be shooting a 1,000 rounds, which is like for every gun I own basically do less guys, than a year. Do you guys do your scope test on every scope that you put on your weapon before you begin to use I it do. in the field? Okay. I do, okay. but I understand why people don't. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things is if we, we, we kind of correlate, and I'm using that term loosely now, Field results with, okay, this combination works. Let's find out on the range where we can reproduce that exact gun and scope, that, that system, take that gun, how do we make it fail on the range, right? And then let's say I want, like there's a combination that it's like, dude, we, we see two dozen, three dozen of these things used for five to 10,000 rounds, backpack hunts, just, you know, use, real use, no failures, well, let's find out what the failure on the range for those 10 guns are, 20 guns, those systems. And that kind of sets the upper limit because there's a difference. If you take like the best scope made right now and you drop it from six feet, eight feet on concrete and it hits the, the eyepiece, the ocular, 
you got a 50 50 chance that thing's going to shear off right like uh again not the engineer side but you got a sheer impact force blah 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 that's very different from an impact and it's no different if you drop a lot of fiberglass wooden stocks from six feet on the butt on concrete or steel like you're going to crack the stock mm -hmm. so there is an upper limit right mm -hmm. and it's not again not saying that's good or bad or it's where it should be but of a lot of use and a lot of playing and a lot of breaking, right? Like I joke when people start trying to replicate the drop evals and I'm like, ah, because what I get is a lot of times like, hey, I did this and I broke my stock. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what did you do, right? And a lot of things, it wasn't bedded. So there was movement in the stock in the action, right? So that's just putting force in there. Um, they're dropping it on concrete. They're dropping it on steel plates, Shoulder height, head height, like, yeah, those are all things. I'm not saying a gun shouldn't maybe, be able to- Maybe a scope test specification sheet. Something. Yeah, well, it's on there, yeah. right? And yeah. so what we, so the other issue is one of the variable is the impact surface, right? So I have a buddy that is an engineer that kind of did it. And there's a probability matrix, like what is the probability? Like what is the confidence factor of this thing being okay? Basically it's this, right? If just take a half inch padded shooting mat and a quarter inch of EVA foam, put them on top of each other. It doesn't really matter after that. Like if a scope will pass it with that quarter inch EVA foam and a half inch padded shooting mat on like normal dirt, right? So not super loose, not hard packed. It'll pass it on that. It'll do the same if it's on snow or the same as if it's on rock, right? That gives enough of a, of a cushion to not break. Now that also shows where is it that if we go less than that scope, those combinations that work in actual use for massive round counts and massive use, mm -hmm. we can make them fail in the range. Like I can tell you how to break a night force mil spec right now. So what? That's not realistic. Like anything that breaks that is going to break you and the gun. Okay. So I want to know, cause what I want is a high probability that over Whatever the usable lifetime, if we're talking longer range shooting past 400, your yearly round count should be measured in thousands, not hundreds and not dozens, right? If you're actually going to be competent at this thing. Okay, so what's my 95% probability or 99% probability that I'm not going to have a problem with this scope for the lifetime? That's kind of what I'm looking for. I want my things to work. It's a variable I can eliminate to the most, the highest potential possible, I guess you could say. Right, so the the half inch padded shooting mat and a, a quarter inch EVA foam. You can, dude, you can use a half inch EVA foam. Like it's a 10 ish pound gun when it hits. Like the gun itself is about ten pounds. I think it's ten point one pounds. So it's replicable. So I can take that gun with the Night Force mil spec. I can drop it on hard packed dirt. I can drop it on snow. It holds zero. I can take a scope that loses zero at 36 inches on the mat with the mats placed over like kind of snow you've laid in. So not hard packed, but not super loose either. It fails at 36 inches. You can put it on any other substrate, any other ground, any other thing under it. It still fails. Say it passes at 18, but it fails at 36 inches. Right, so one of the things we've done with a couple scopes is find the exact range the force with that 10 pound rifle that's causing a shift. So I go with those two mats from snow 
to green grass to hard pack rock, it's it's within an inch or two of each other. Like so, in other words, that yes, there's a variability there, but it's so small it doesn't really matter. It doesn't show itself in use. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And all of that is tied back to these these like lots of rounds, lots of examples, lots of use. Because it's being it's trying to be put back to something practical. Right. And so then we get to like what Ryan, when we when he first started hearing about all this, is like, well, okay, what if it holds zero at 18 but loses at 36? Right. Here's what we can say. There has been one scope, and I'm talking in a massive amount of by anyone's definition of ammo, optics, and guns. I have seen one scope pass the entire thing with no shift that broke ever. Mm. And that was that Miopta Optica 6. Mm. It's a little over 3,000 rounds, 3,500, 3,700 rounds. It started getting wonky, right? That's the only one that's ever passed. Now, the, the thing there is it didn't go through the full drop eval. We didn't do the three by three, right? And it was because I was going on a hunt and I really couldn't break that scope. So I, I can also say, even though it didn't go through the absolute full eval, it is the only scope that I've seen that passed the 36-inch drops that has failed at a later date. So what does it mean? Well, so this is from a, a lot of experience with this. When I go out and this kind of, Ryan, because you've hunted with the last couple of years with me and I've hunted with you, et cetera. When I see these scopes that have high failure rates, so they wouldn't pass an 18-inch drop, bro, it's 50-50 if that scope loses zero on the first hunt that I'm with that person. We check zero before, by the end of the hunt, it's 50-50 if it's lost zero. Like That's how bad it is. With no excuse given. We're not going to give an excuse because you didn't hit. You were shooting an inch an inch dot when we started. You better be hitting that inch dot when we're done with the seven-day hunt, right? If it passes the, 30, the 18-inch drop but fails, or if it does not pass the 18-inch drop, I wouldn't shoot it at squirrels. If it passes the 18-inch drop, I probably still wouldn't shoot it at squirrels. But if you're shooting a deer at 30 yards in your tree stand, like whatever. I mean, the, the real question is why spend the money to something that's broke out of the box? But if it passes the 36, the 18 and 36, but not the the 3 by 3 36-inch uh, drops... It's a toss-up. Like I would, I would expect something to go wrong with that scope in the next several hundred rounds. That one shot is going to miss at some point, right? And this is all just kind of—it's anecdotal. It's a big data set, but it's anecdotal and seeing a lot, right? Like as you're as you're describing all, I think, I think if we if we look at it from the listener's perspective, and and what they can get out of everything that you're you're laying on them right now, I could say with almost 99% certainty that there's a very small percentage of people, maybe 1% that would actually go out there and drop their scopes on their hunting yeah. rifles, you know, as yep. an example. Yep. So if we were, if we were going to give the average hunters out there with a hunting rifle, some value here, we could tell them that maybe there are some scope brands that you've experienced in all of your testing that seem to be, uh, better off than others, mm-hmm. or maybe some recommendations, something like that, or even mounting methods or, like maybe you could tell the average hunter what you would do coming in at, at this price point, $1,000 price point, $500 price point, $1,000 price point, $2,000 price point. You know, what are you looking at that hasn't failed on you in the field? First off, I'd tell them you're fucking welcome because we're yeah. doing it for you. Yes, <laughs> for sure. 
And you can donate. Okay. To the cause. Nice. So 308 ammo. No, you can donate through the cause. You can donate to us through PayPal. We've got a whopping, I think, 386 bucks so far. Really? Yeah. Sweet. So when we put like $9,000 into it. Yeah. (laughs) So we've bought scopes. And I'm not trying to get money from anybody. You do what you do. But I'm just saying... We can do that. I mean, he, we pretty much have a pass fail. There's a three hundred. Was it three hundred dollar scope that passes every yeah. yep. SWFA? It's ugly as shit, but it passes. <laughs> so I mean, there's plenty of scopes on the market. That there's not plenty of scopes on the market. There's plenty of price points on the market. And that's that the the biggest thing with that is price point has no effect. Yeah, like it has no correlation to price point. But most consumers, most hunters on the market, they would assume that if they spent five hundred on a on a on a low level vortex mm-hmm. versus spending three thousand on a night force attacker, they assume that they're getting more dur- durability, dependability by spending more money. I th- mm-hmm. I think so if you ask them. But if you ask them what when you look at people when they ask about scopes, right? We'll just use scopes as an example. Let's go for all gear. They talk about glass and features, things that you could hold up in the store mm-hmm. and look through. Right was when you get a new gun and your buddy shows your new gun, he has you look through it. He doesn't talk about like how well it works. He just look through it. It's awesome, right? So, what you pay for in optics, and that's with the Chinese companies now that's changing, is glass and features. But let's just be very clear. Once we're talking about like we said earlier, like glass, so. Once you get past usable in glass, it is no longer affecting the American hunter that cannot legally shoot at night with just moonlight. Lots of there's lots of preferences, right? Like I hate, I don't hate hate the strong. I strongly dislike certain reticles and certain glass, like the what it looks like to my eye. But if you had me play a thousand dollars down and say if you miss this shot with this scope, we're we're keeping your thousand bucks. I can hit with it just fine. I just don't like it, right? That's when we started. I don't do I like, I think I feel, right? If we talk about what I like, it's Winchester pre-64 model 70s and loopholes. That's what I like. That's, but no. I can. So, so do you recommend loophole for the average no. hunter? Okay, uh, so. BX5 HD, <laughs> Mark 5 HD. So I, I've said some things that make people just lose their mind. This is not a, um. Okay, so that's a perfect example. People think I hate Leupold. Leupold has made one of the most durable scopes ever made. Which is what? The now discontinued fixed 10-power Mark IV. is the one that was issued on the U.S. Army sniper rifle for almost 30 years. They don't make it anymore. The group size opens up when you drop them, but the point of impact does not change. In other words, from each drop to each shot, it might produce... If the gun's shooting one MOA, it might produce a 1.5 MOA group through the drops. But as soon as you stop dropping it, it goes back to one MOA. It never changes the center point of impact. So I can't hate loophole if the spotter that I use, which is now broken ironically, but I'll give it a pass. It's been like 13 years of unbelievable abuse, is a loophole. And I can also say that they've made one of the most durable scopes ever made. That... The VX5 that you used, I have seen more than two dozen now. None of them will pass a drop eval. None of them. Not one. Right? With a proven gun, if the scope fails, we put the other scope back on it. We've taken the test scope out of the rings, put the or you know, the test night force mil spec out of the rings, put the the new scope in those same rings without ever removing them for the gun, torque them down, shoot it, it fails, take that scope back. Out, put the test scope back in. 
it holds zero, et cetera, right? Yep. I've never seen one p- pass. It just, it's not going to pass. No. And we tested two different. Well, that's Mark, the Mark V. Two different Mark V. One was yours, Jake. Yes, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So the first one I tested, so I'd already seen a dozen, over a dozen Mark Vs, non-commercial Mark Vs. And what I mean by that is they weren't bought on the commercial market. Um, none of them have ever lasted. Like the best scope loophole's ever, best variable power scope loophole has ever made is a Mark V. Is it the Mark V HD generally, wasn't it made or is there a version of it that's made specifically for military applications? Yes. Like was it? Okay. Me including think. the spotter you were talking about, like they have that one spotter that's almost like a square like this with the eyepiece here and the objective is yeah. down Yeah, here. so the like mark, that's, that's, that's a Mark IV spotter. Yeah. You can buy them, but yes, that's what I use because it's got it's a red gold ring, right? Gold ring. Uh-huh. It's 15 it's, to 45 version of the military. Yes, yeah, yeah. So the Mark Vs are the best overall, the best variable loophole scopes that loophole has ever made. However, before the drop eval with you, I have shot more and used more than a dozen in no dropping. None of them would survive dropping. None of them went more than 500 rounds without having to be re-zeroed. I think we we're actually in the 400. Keep in mind, it's the same guns mounted correctly with the same lot of ammunition. They're nothing changing, right? They all would lose zero periodically. The thing to understand, and I'm not trying to get too far deep in this, as I said it earlier, like these manufacturers aren't testing the way people think That's they what are. I was about to say, did you have you guys ever worked with Loophole to? I don't want to name these. I, most data. manufacturers are completely uninterested. Okay, just so we're clear, like. What generally happens is they don't like what you're saying, so they character assassinate, mm-hmm. right? And that's, it's just simply screw the character, the person. It doesn't matter. Just don't have a seizure behind the gun. Show me it works. I don't really care beyond that. Like, it, it doesn't matter. But that's what they do. Some companies have. So we're clear. There are companies, as I said, there, there are some that listen and are producing much better products. And you're seeing that slowly. But- it's also one of these where if the company isn't doing testing, when I talk to a scope, and there was a scope a few years ago, I think if I want to say this, well, it was going to come to market. There's been several of them. And the whole point is they were ready to, to release a scope that was expensive, that had less rounds on it total in all of their testing than I did in the first hour. <laughs> Like that is insanity. You're you're in, you're releasing. They they don't do what people think they are because people don't shoot guns because they're expensive, which is you know buy a two twenty three live your life, or, um, or you know they're they're trying to the, the average hunter's trying to go with a reputable well known brand because they believe things are tested. Yeah. Well, so you believe so things don't are tested. Have to test it right, and and that is what it should be, mm. right, and so. I'll do it because it's public and there's there's no love or hate here, so we're clear. Night Force shows you how they test their scopes. They smash them on a steel table with some duct tape, right? And anybody that's been to SHOT Show, dude, they smash those things. The reason I don't, maybe all Night Force, maybe 99% of Night Forces suck. It doesn't matter. They don't ship them. Like, you only get the ones that work. Now, do Night Forces fail at times? Yeah. Everything fails, but the odds are so low that it's like everything fails. So you've had how many NX-8s with messed up zero stops? Two. Two. 
So I know but, but, four but, total. But I've had not, out of all my NX8s, yeah. I've had not one. So I've old. seen probably a hundred NX8s of the model he's talking about. Yeah, he's had two, and I've seen two others. That's ninety. That's four percent failure rate of the, of the hundreds. Okay, fine. Those are the only things I've ever seen with Night Force. I'm not saying they don't break. They certainly do, and they definitely had a an issue with customer service for one famous one they do. It doesn't matter. If I get a Night Force today that breaks, it's not like, oh, my God. Dude, the, the volume that has been used and shot in, it's like, sweet, I finally broke one. He was there when I thought an SWFA broke. Yeah. Do you remember that last year? And I was excited. I was going to tell everybody <laughs> about it. Why? Because it's got 140-something thousand rounds on it. I thought it was done. Well, and the thing is, no scope gets preferential treatment. They're all care. tested exactly the same. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they pass or fail. But I want to talk about testing. What about the humbler? They, Leopold says <laughs> oh they test God. it. They have a humbler. Why, okay. why is that a not a valid test? What is test? a humbler? What they call it. So it's a, um, so imagine a machine where you put a scope in it and it simulates recoil. So like recoils, you know, I think it's loophole. But there's a lot of them do it. If loophole's listening, I don't hate loophole, right? Just make your stuff we actually work. We don't hate any brand. No. We're just testing it to a standard. Yeah. So they Trying night to force. be a better hunter. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's all in eliminating the variables as we get to it. So there's something that most people realize when they get in like an R group, right? And I'll say it like 600 yards. It is at the same time on animals in a field environment, way harder than the mass market tries to make it seem like to be competent at it. And at the same exact time, it's way easier than people think. It all depends on where you start from and how you do it. One of the biggest variables we miss due to our biggest source of error, one, it's the human, eliminate the human. So I learned the person is trained to shoot correctly. The next reason we miss is because we lost zero. And it's so far above every other reason to miss, it's not even funny, right? I mean, like everybody says wind. No, dude. I could shoot hold center on every target I ever shoot, and I'll hit more animals if my scope will hold zero than if I could read wind like a baller, and yet my scope shifts half minute every, you know, randomly, right? So you have that. I don't hate anybody. If anything, we beat on the night forces more than anybody just to, because it just seems like we're biased, and it's not. It's just, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put them through more to show you that I'm, I'm wanting one to fail. I seen him drop the NX-8 that... So so four to so, thirty two from above his head. So we're so we're so we're recommending night force. No, no, no. As the, so I want to I want to I don't recommend anything. I want to be clear which, with that. I'm not recommending anything. Which scope For do stokes, you put on your hunting rifle? So there's a good question, right? So if I was going on a sheep hunt or whatever, it's if it is a general purpose zero to whatever, right? And I'm as likely to get a three hundred yard shot as I am a fifty yard shot as I am a 600-yard shot. It's an SWFA 3-9 to nine or a fixed 6. <coughs> what, about, what about those of us that can't fucking see 500 yards with a 9 power? Well, so you can. See, that's another thing that people like. I oh, can't. Oh, God. We don't, I, no, no, no. So there's a whole other subject. We're Remember the three ocular? fucking hours on this podcast. So the, uh, the back of an ocular, right? Your, your eyepiece? Uh-huh. That's like glasses. You can make it focus for anybody. So what I'll tell you, what we have seen, and there's some weird dude out there. I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying <laughs> what I've seen is that it is visually uncomfortable. But every single person from six from 8 to 80, as I like to say, but from literally like less than six years old to over 80, 
once they shoot enough with a 4X, they kill anything you put in front of them out five, 600 yards. It is a visual comfort level. And I shoot a lot of things at sub 8X. So let's, lot. let's move the elk out to 1,000 yards. So at that range, I need a spotter, so I don't really care. Can I aim in the sitter? So yeah. there's that that comes into like how you long-range hunt for the highest probability of killing. So 0 to 600, people that shoot a lot can probably spot their own shots with the right setup and do that. Past 600, and this goes into an opinion and, and like opinion versus an opinion formed from seeing 10 to 12 people I don't normally shoot and hunt with a year shoot in the field, even if they're competitors, and watching the success rate, right? The amount of people that should be shooting past 600 by themselves without a spotter. <clears throat> <laughs> I don't even I the amount of people that should be shooting past 600 is so so small in the country it's not even funny when you talk about like where we live out here and we can shoot constantly in the mountains and just random like places I've never shot before I was shooting this last week every day I shot in a place I had never shot before right and tracking hit rates out to 1800 The amount of people that should be shooting past 600 with without a spotter is so small that they already know what they legitimately do not need to ask a question, right? So it all becomes, so power is relative. Like, are there shots that I might miss? I'll just use me as an example because I'm not using enough power. Maybe, maybe if the light was just perfect and I was going to take that shot. Wasn't that where the aim small, miss small, for example, if you, you know, if you're on it is, 32 magnification on the NX8 there shooting at 100 yards, aim small, miss small. <laughs> well, but it does it, does it tease itself out? So, no, 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 that's a great thing because people think magnification. So now you're going into success rate in total. Like so people want to remember a four to 32 NX eight and yeah. I got to shoot a group at a hundred yards, even a 10 shot yeah. group. It doesn't matter if I shoot it on four power or 32 power, I will shoot better at 32. Power. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. If I now put an eight inch circle at a hundred yards and I said, you're going to shoot this circle in like a video game. Every time you shoot, the ball is going to bounce out of your field of view. And if it takes you longer than two seconds to reacquire and shoot it again, I'm going to hit you with a taser. What power are you shooting at? Yeah, if it's going to go out of you, you need that's smaller the thing. magnification. Well, so that's the whole point. Yeah. We're shooting animals that move. Yes. Right. So here's what here's what I can tell you from thousands of animals shot. We're not talking. I'm not talking like sage rats. We're in the thousands of game animals from antelope and bigger. Field of view matters so much more than magnification. It's not even funny. Like I can count on one hand in. The amount of animals I've shot with a rifle were hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds. One hand where the magnification hurt me on hitting that animal, they'll too low, and it is in the hundreds with too much magnification. The number one thing, Ryan, last two years with, with some, some people that are competent, right? They're not incompetent people, not like people would normally associate. They're experienced hunters. What is the two things that you hear me say the most when when the, when it all goes starts going downhill? Don't touch the fucking magnification. And rack. <laughs> and reload. 
So what does people do? They turn up the power? Do they just see the, the hair on the animal? Say, everything you're talking about revolves around a follow-up shot, not yes. necessarily the first shot. It's no, always the, a follow-up shot. So the thing is, is like, okay, so I have high magnification, say 30x at 800 yards on an elk or a deer. Okay, so I'm going to, unless the person can shoot really well and they're shooting a gun from a really stable position that's designed correctly so it doesn't, there's almost, almost nobody's keeping that animal in the field view at 30X. Like, like, I don't care who you are. Maybe at 10X, 12X, sure. But unless you're shooting a 22 Creed more, it's coming out of your field view. Okay, because they're not, a lot of this comes from PRS where you're shooting a gun that literally doesn't move. You free recoil it off a barricade, right? That's kind of the transfer where the quote unquote long range hunting is getting most of its influence is PRS, I think, but that influences scope design and gun design primarily. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does have some bad consequences. So it's 800 yards. I shoot it at 20X or 25X. You're losing the animal. So boom, this is the the, the thing that happens. Um, if you've missed an animal in the last 50 animals, raise your hand. Okay, that's everybody. That's reality. There is no such thing as 100%. So every shot we take, like... There's no, it's not hundred percent at hundred yards broadside on a green field. If we're, if we measure enough animals, you're going to miss at some point for some reason. So it's always a probability, right? So I can tell you, I have missed three animals in the last 100. Two were for the same exact reason. One was for completely other reason. Ballistics coming out of a range finder that was affected by my body heat. Right? Verified. Not like I hope I like I think I feel, right? However, going with other people, everybody says they fire one round, the animal dies. Right? Like they Ryan. Hope. They hope. They hope. But so people say this and people will be like, I've never had these things because we emphasize, I say we, the people I hunt with, on-demand shooting ability, a zero that never changes and somebody that can run a gun correctly. That is load it, unload it, fire rounds, keep it in it, just keep the gun running and quote unquote, shooting multiple shots. And people, I've never had that. And then what's really cool is when they video some of their hunts and you watch an animal get hit poorly and it stands there for four minutes and they cut the video and then they cut the new video in when it falls over. And it's like, why did you watch it for 10 minutes? And they're like, well, you know, I got a one shot kill. Bro, <laughs> we, as, we as hunters do very bad after action reviews or none at all. Correct. And after hunting with, with form for a few I don't know, a few different hunts, and m mainly my uncle's hunt. <laughs> it, it made me go back and, like, you know, think about my last 10 or 15 kills, and only maybe, maybe out of the last 20, three dropped instantly, and the rest were call it required. Either they were dying on their feet. They're already dead, sure. but I didn't know for sure. Nobody really knows for sure. You know, you can say, oh, it's right behind the shoulder, and they can still run five, six, eight hundred yards. So I, they required follow-up follow shots. So that rack... Him racking is right, and in in retrospect, I kept thinking to myself that I was better than I actually was, and having form around, he's really good at telling you, <laughs> yeah, you're fucking not that good, and making you think about more more about all the whole aspect from start to finish. Yeah. That you need to get another bullet in there, and you need to get back on target, and dropping the magnification and racking as soon. Now you're not talking about shooting rack like you shoot, you try to see where the bullet impacts, and then you rack. Yes, there's a whole process, right? So it 
it comes in. I grew up in the one shot, one kill kind of thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then we started doing crop depredation and uh, culling, where you're shooting seventy to a hundred per person a day or a night, and like the animal cannot leave this region. Like it's on a field and it cannot leave. Um, and then just regular hunting, we're killing a lot of animals, like with the group. I mean, that's what they do. The amount of animals we lost or created rodeos because we shot once and, and just watched them, it's staggering. Now, most people, they don't understand that. And I don't mean this rudely. There's a difference between killing one deer 20 years in a row. So you, you, you basically have the same experience over and over and over again. So you don't really learn anything from it and killing 20 deer. Right. Or that's not even statistically relevant. But when you start seeing like dozens to hundreds of people shooting because you like to hunt. So like I just like going with people and watching. Right. Because I get more data and make fun of them mainly (laughs) if I know them well enough. I've never Um, seen an autopsy quite like forms autopsies. (laughs) Yeah. So what did that come from? That came from tired of being lied to about bullets like, oh, foot pounds of energy. So, I mean, he's seen my rifle. I, I, the first 100 deer I killed, uh, 98 of them were with a 300 Win Mag or a 300 Weatherby or a 300 Remington Ultra Mag when it was brand new, right? And, like, I'm, I'm increasing the energy, but the animals aren't going down any, any sooner, right? And that starts, like, the, well, what is going on here? Oh, hey, guess what? Bullets matter. Like, what it actually does in tissue, not that. So the number one reason we – when I say – success rate. I mean, I want to kill that animal. And when the event's over, I'm standing over that animal, right? It doesn't matter to me if I put three rounds into its chest or one, like it matters if I shoot five times and I miss three times and only hit it twice. That matters. But like there's an elk I killed way beyond the range of a bullet's performance, right? We knew it. I knew I was going to kill the elk. I knew what the end result of that, that, event was going to be this animal is going to die but the bullets probably aren't going to open up when when my spotter was setting up his spotting scope for it i just put another magazine right beside the gun because i knew it was going to happen and i think i shot that elk six times but we're not talking like people don't understand this until they see myself or like people that shoot with us how fast we rack and shoot that elk was i think 801 yards It was shot six times in about nine seconds. Like, it is fast. I use my middle finger to pull the trigger sometimes. So my fingers never come off the bolt, right? And that's that's not – I knew what the event was. That elk was only alive for about nine to ten – it was only on its feet for nine to ten seconds. You go, well, why didn't you shoot and wait? Well, because I'm not going to – if they're up, they're getting shot, right? I want success rate, not just this arbitrary number of like, well, I shot once and it died. Because – Honestly, behind the scenes with a lot of people, that's bullshit. Like, they miss and wound a lot, and they don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And that's at 50 yards and 500 yards. It's not, that's range agnostic, right? So we lose more opportunities because we can't find the animal in the scope or refine the animal in the scope because the gun fails, because it doesn't hold zero. There's very few opportunities that are lost due to not enough magnification, mm-hmm. right? Now, Having said that, like, where more magnification, say, than moderate, and the, the old standard was kind of like 1x per 100 yards, 
So like a 10X was good to a thousand. That's still kind of true. You could say one to like 1.5X per hundred, as long as you can see your impact to the scope at that range. So like 9X at 600 is pretty solid. Um, but where the magnification starts helping me enough to make a better shot, I'm at such a range, I need a spotter. I need somebody on glass behind me because if, if the animal moves or there's wind, I can't see like, that's the other thing. Like hit rates are just not as high as people think they are. Like, I don't know what people are doing to say they have a hundred percent hit rate. Is that like a hundred percent? I've shot three animals. So I have a hundred percent hit rate. It could be three for but, three. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, <laughs> but like this year alone, right? We killed 20 elk this year. Like when I say we, I mean, I was either the one shooting or I was the one calling the wind and the the command to fire for the person and doing the autopsy. Were there some misses? Yeah, we had more issues this year than we have in the last 10 years combined. We also had more brand new, relatively brand new shooters that were experienced, but not practiced the way we practice, right? And so what did we see? We had all the issues pop up. Right, everything but losing zero. We we did not allow anybody to bring an optic that doesn't <laughs> and no hold zero. Animals that were touched with the bullet didn't. No, die. no, no. That's the other thing. We don't lose animals. Yeah, like I'm not saying it never happens. Certainly it does, but I don't think since 2010 we're talking, including culling, we're talking in like the seven eight hundred animals that I've been a part of. Every animal that has been touched by a bullet has been recovered. That's not. We do not lose animals. Like I'm not going to say it can never happen, but. I put I put my group's success rate of recovering animals as high as anybody. A lot of these dudes are killing twenty to thirty deer a year with a bow. Like they know how to track. We know how to find animals, and because we know how to shoot, even if we make a bad shot, which is really rare, like it's genuinely rare to make a bad shot on an animal for us. They're so quick they can put another round into them mm. before they don't move. I don't think we've had we've had one boom flop. In like, it's probably one out of 20 animals. And what I mean by that is they're up enough, they just get another round. And sometimes they get three rounds. All of them are good, but you just keep shooting until they so, fall. So some, some advice for, for average or beginner hunters would be don't be afraid to keep putting rounds in them until they're down. Yeah, that's correct. Doesn't even matter what you're shooting. Right? I don't like care. Don't, it doesn't matter whether you took one shot or five shots or five bullets to kill the elk. Just well, keep shooting. Yeah, the thing is, is like there's so much all bullets can fail, right? So I could think I've made a good shot and it's not, right? I can have the most reliable system and it's the one out of 100,000 times that it just fails. Um, yeah, it sucks. If you put more bullets in, you you damage more meat. Sure. But there's a whole – or you lose the animal, right? There's a whole other thing there. And I think to keep in mind on this Con, like this context and this conversation is you're trying to kill the animal. You're not harvesting crap. It's not corn. Kill it as quickly as possible. And that that doesn't mean you shoot bigger guns necessarily. It just means there's there's time to incapacitation is what we call it from we, I started till it's done. We like big guns. I like big guns. We use Most we, people just can't shoot them. Or I, I often talk about a lot of the things you've said for a reason to use a bigger bullet going faster to increase the and i understand yeah. there's arguments for yes yeah, six millimeter may kill better all that good stuff but one of the arguments for using a bigger bullet might be that to give you more of an up not to margin for error margin for error yeah okay, so we're, we're going to transition error. into no that's all right it just 
No, no. I mean, I think first of all, have we finished the, the drop is. test? Okay, scope so scope. Test. Sorry, you asked me a question. Scope. So, so scopes that generally work. SWFA three to nine fixed ten power fixed six power five to twenty. Talk, talk to night the, force the mainstream hunter who's looking at a loophole VX three HD at Cabela's for his hunting rifle he just purchased. If you care about it holding zero, don't. Okay, so give some options. SWFA generally work pretty good. And I'm talking about scopes that generally work. I'm not talking about absolute bulletproof. But I really haven't seen. I, I've I've actually probably never met somebody that showed me or talked about a rifle that had SWFA True, on right? it. So, like, so let's let's go. Let's Trigicon. Go. Okay, Trigicon. What? All the Trigicons I've seen, while they may not be absolutely bulletproof, they are what people generally think of scopes as. They generally work okay as long as you don't put them through too much damage. It's also interesting because most. The way I would think about a Trigicon is for some type of AR optic, something like that. Yeah, they're generally and stuff. not a hunting rifle. They don't optic. advertise them for that much. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, and it, the, Trigicon's a company, if you go look, they talk about drop testing scopes now mm -hmm. and all that, right? And I'm not, I don't have anything to do with that. Good on them. Um, some of them do lose zero from like 36 inch drops. And one of the better ways that we kind of to show the average hunter, like to give him an example of what it losing zero from a drop causes is I just like to say, okay, at what round would I have missed a deer at 400? So an eight inch target at 400 yards. When you talk most of the hunting scopes, like just name a brand, doesn't really matter. It's all the same, right? Remove out, we can name brands, but remove out you know, Trigicon, Aimpoint, Night Force, SWFA, it's it's like sub 400 rounds of just use. One of those rounds will miss. Just carrying on the side of a backpack or in the back of a truck, right? So when we talk about that from the drop eval, 18-inch drops, it's like, okay, what round would it? Well, the first 18-inch drop on a on the scope you just mentioned, the first 18-inch drop will cause a miss on a deer at sub 100 yards, generally. Right, and that's they're not cheap scopes. That's not a three hundred or two hundred dollar scope. Scopes holding zero should be the baseline. A hundred dollar scope should be as reliable in general use as a thousand dollar scope or two thousand dollar scope. Glass and features should be the separator, but it's not. It's just not so, how the world works. Yeah. So, right now, basically, is does the manufacturer care about the scope holding zero through impacts? And that's pretty much Night Force, Trigicon, and SWFA, you can say, and Aimpoint. Everybody I think the else. The most common brands are probably, you talk about this Loophole and Vortex, mm -hmm. along with Night from a hunting, like a guy walks in to unload yeah. munitions tomorrow. We're talking about a hunting rifle build. Just by really Night Force. just those three, for sure. Yeah. But there's really <laughs> just those three brands yeah. that most people, like nobody's rocking SWFA. True. Nobody's yep. rocking a Trigicon scope on yep. their fucking new hunting rifle. It's yep. just not happening. So Vortex, Loophole, Night Force are the three. If we were to talk Alpha Glass with Suaro yep. and Leica and mm -hmm. Zeiss, you know, similar. Yep. similar view on hunting rifles but these are the guys that we're talking to the guys that are looking at at those options mm -hmm. so out of those three options the night force nx8 it, any of the night force tactical scopes so that's the shvs i just mean not the non-bentrust night forces yeah, exactly yeah they, they're they're as close as you can get to a sure bet on reliability yes some of them fail that's not if you take a hundred of them and one night forces fail, one night force fails or loses zero, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. If we did that with basically any other brand and one did it, I would be jumping for joy. Mm -hmm. 
right? Like if, if any other brand had one that passed hard use, I'd be like really happy. That's the difference. Yes, everything can fail. The reliability probability with the Night Force is so much higher. And the reason, if for no other reason, is because they're testing every scope for that. And we're not shitting on them. We want every brand to be at 99 out of 100. Dude, I was hoping the Mark V, when you gave me that three, 3.8 to 18 or whatever it is, 3.6 to 18, that lost zero, yes, and the group size is open, but about like some of the Trigicons do. Like, in other words, it wouldn't have caused a miss on a deer at 600 yards for me. And I was like, dude, if it does this, I'm going to use it. This is awesome. Because to be clear from a, an eye box, all that perspective, I still think Loophole makes the most pleasing scope to use generally. Now, I'm not talking about the absolute best glass. And that's best, the Mark V? The Mark Vs, okay. yeah. I, I think their VX5s, are, they're nice to use and all that. They just don't hold zero. I know people are like, well, I've shot. I'm not talking about your one-off. I'm talking about actually using it and measuring it consistently and across the board. That's the other thing you always hear is, well, I've used such and such ground X and I've never lost zero. It's so, so here's an interesting thing. Would you fly in an airplane if it's like this pilot in a thousand test flights, thousand flights has crashed 400 times and you're like, well, I've flown with him three times and I, he hasn't crashed. <laughs> nah, dog, I'm not getting on that plane. Right. I want to know the pilot that's, that's got a hundred thousand hours of flight time that has never screwed up. Like it's probability here. There's no hundred percent. I just want the highest probability. So of the major brands, the only one that cares about or tests for impact zero retention is night force. Mm -hmm. So the humbler is just a recoil generator, but in one direction up like front recoil force going from front of the gun back. Right. It doesn't check side recoil. The yeah, basic straight recoil line. of what, yeah. a, a, what but a rifle does. Here's the thing that, and, you know, there's other scopes that have like sh other companies that use shakers. They're just making sure the scope functions at the end. They're not, what I need it to do is I mount it. And then no matter the force I apply to it within reason, right? So like drops or whatever, shaking, the crosshairs remain in alignment with the bore. Mm -hmm. But none of these companies, they're not measuring that. They're so, just measuring where the thing comes apart. They're trying to minimize warranty returns. That's correct. That is absolutely correct. Because people don't send scopes back and say, hey, this loss is zero on me. They send it back and says, I can no longer zero it. Right? I literally, it used to keep stacks of all the particular brand of scope when we'd send them back. And what they said. 100% of the time, replace the rector, replace the rector, replace the rector. Or they replace the rector and then don't put anything. Oh, that yeah. happens too. They, they, yeah. they replace parts, but don't tell you they replace any parts. Mm, I have a couple yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's plenty of those. So are there any, uh, are, are Mark Vs used at all in the military? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Army uses them. Okay. Yep. Uh, the only thing I'll say there, I'm not going to get into to that, is there's enough public knowledge out there. They're not measuring them for impact zero retention. These, the, the, a lot of the government tests are public, like how they're testing them. They're not mounting these scopes on guns, shooting them for 5,000 rounds and making sure the zero doesn't change. Here's why they can't. Anybody that's been in the military, every time you go to a range, you have to re zero. Why? Because you are getting a new lot of ammunition. You have lots, lots shift in ammunition. They haven't, you have no clue if that thing holds zero. Mm -hmm. The amount of places, government or otherwise, that can shoot a thousand rounds and from range to ra range trip to range trip to range trip and shoot the same lot of ammo is like you can count it on one hand. 
Like it just doesn't happen. Right. So I, Hey, military uses night force too. I could just tell you lots of government agencies do lots of places do. That is not a reason to use night force. You know, that's, that's an appeal to authority that I think most people don't understand what it actually means. Right. Like it's, it's funny. Well, you hope that so, so from us, from a normal person point of view, we believe that if the military uses something, it has received further testing than normal civilian equipment would yes. in order to meet a contract That's for the, a mil spec. It, that, that is true, but mm -hmm. you have to look at what that means. Usually it means what he just said, like absolute destruction, Yeah. right? Like <sighs> there's a lot of things that something not being destroyed that means unusable does not mean they're working yeah, as correctly it's, it's, yeah right and i'm not saying there's like i said the, the loophole mark fork fixed 10x the history of that scope is when the army was doing their m24 trials in the 80s they were jumping out of airplanes none of the scopes would hold zero loophole told them we can make a scope hold zero and they did and they were testing it the impact of parachuting airborne ops on that scope that's why that scope works they built it for that the testing is slightly different now. They're not directly <laughs> measuring it. Okay. Did we get through <laughs> the drop test to where you drive around with it? That's where we're at now. Oh, my God. There's still <laughs> more our, testing. Our, I thought we were done testing. Hour and 45 minutes, and we're finally getting towards the end of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So say it, it passes everything. Hold zero. Even if it loses some zero, a lot of times we'll still use it because I want to show how we want to see how long of just normal use before the scope loses zero again from no dropping, right? Because people will be like, yeah, of course it loses zero when you drop it, but I'll never drop a scope so it works. So then we show it, right? So then I just throw it in the back of my pickup truck on a padded seat. It's not in a case, but there's nothing smashed in the scope. Like you can look at the scope. They're not banged to hell and back. It's just vibration from the vehicle up a forest service road that's kind of rough. Like if you've been on any normal forest service road, it's like that. They don't last. Like they lose zero so fast. That's that's what killed that first Mark V. It was okay enough that I would have hunted with it. Everything worked. I shot it for 100, 120 rounds that day. Drove to the house, drove back up the next morning. It had lost zero by 0.4 of a mil and was shooting like five inch groups just from the vibration. And the funny part is, is if they don't pass the drop test, they generally don't pass the drive around test. I've never had one that does. Right? So like the Athlon, that two to 12 that, Everybody likes BTR2, Helios, whatever it is. Um, it didn't pass the drop eval. Like, it, it lost zero, right? But it did adjust correctly. Everything seemed fine. So, okay, it doesn't pass the drop eval. So, we re-zeroed it. At the end, shot shot quite a few rounds. It held zero. Everything was great. I drove around for a few days, like maybe a week. It was several hundred miles, but nothing had hit that scope. It was just vibrating in the padded seat, right? Just laying on the seat. It lost zero by 0.2 of a mil the next time I shot it. They, that's all the drop. The drop eval is showing you an impact. Like the eval is showing you like a, oh my God, I dropped my gun. What is the likelihood that it works? And it's like an accelerated way to see the probability that this thing is going to work, period. Right? So it's interesting because the Trigicon 3 to 8, now it's, a, it's a sample of one, right? You have one that works pretty well. Everything's going fine. But the group size opened up. It doesn't necessarily shift when you drop it. If you know, we, when we kind of did it, man, if you want to say it shifted a tenth of a mil, fine, or tenth of an MOA, I don't, whatever, dude. 
it stayed within the group size of the gun. Now we're almost at 3,000 rounds with that thing. It's been used to kill an elk out to 803. Everything in between has been went through heinous use. Any any version other than myself or maybe Ryan in this thing, this would be absolute. You would never treat your gun like this. And it's still zero. I wouldn't give Ryan. I wouldn't let Ryan use any of my gear, actually. I'm starting start to realize more and more now. He's not <laughs> borrowing my shit no more. Yeah, he did. Esko Swarovski's not going to fail. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Well, it doesn't oh. matter because... No, 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 I was going to say it doesn't matter because it doesn't have a reticle. doesn't have a reticle. It doesn't have a reticle. So you should see the picture I have of what he did to your spotter. Oh, shit. <laughs> he has he, did. he, he, he didn't tell shiny. me nothing. <laughs> he <laughs> hands me the shiny magazine earlier, and I... Fucking dropped it. He, he's, <laughs> he's doing this with the magazine, then he just drops it right on the ground. And yeah, you know, anyways. So on, are we we're, are we done? Is that, Whatever. Is that I'll the, no, is that the done with? We're no, done is with the, the scope test. test over. Yeah, it, it if it holds zero, we just track it for three thousand rounds, right? And that's just that's most people's lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. And it just kind of goes from experience with a lot of rounds, a lot of scopes. If it goes 3,000 rounds and holds zero, except for that one, uh, that one Miopta, like they just work. Like the probability is you're good. And then by the time you get two of them that work in a row, so that's 6,000 rounds for one scope make and model, one specific model, because it definitely changes per model, mm. right? Um, you have a pretty good idea that thing's going to work. But we did learn uh, next time you buy a used scope, make sure you ask for a round count. <laughs> I had never thought of that, but uh, if you neither. get one from any, any of the three of us, you probably better ask. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It, well, the funny part is uh, there was a scope that he had dropped, and I'd sent back to the company, and they sent it back, and they said nothing was wrong with it. So we reevaluated it, and it, it literally dropped. It broke, or it came off zero with a six-inch drop. That's not made up. People no. think there's something like... That is not made up. I have zero doubt. Like, in other words, I do not, I'm not saying in any way that it doesn't meet the company spec. What, sca what scope is this? <laughs> well, it's sitting, I'm not going to say what scope it is because people can go find out on rockslide.com. Okay. But it's sitting over there on that Spider-Man gun. Oh, yeah, that one. Uh, <laughs> now, now that we're talking about that, so all this scope testing you guys have been doing together, you guys have, this is all documented on Rockside? All on Rockside, and we're not like... How, how, how do they get to it when they go to rockside.com? You go to long range, you go to the long range hunting section, and the scope, is it scope evaluation? Yeah, it's at the very top. Then you go in there and, you and you click forums? Or you all you got to do is type in Rockside drop, side, drop test, and you'll get it. Rockside scope, that's Rockside with Just a K. Put, all you, yep, all you got to do is put in Rockside drop tests, and it will go right to forums fucking handiwork. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> they, I got one question for you, and several people emailed me about this, okay. PM me. You said the other day that most people shouldn't be shooting past their point-blank range anyways. Yes. Why? Because they miss. You so should. if you see, uh, so people, it's like everything else in life, I'm going to try not to be... Um, What's a point blank range? Maximum so, point blank Yeah, range. so say like two, three hundred yards, right? So you, you zero your scope two inches high at a hundred, and you can aim dead on at a deer out to two fifty and not miss. Blah blah blah. Before before turrets, it was like a big big deal. That's yeah. why weather beast, you know, in yes. Lazaroni, super fast. Velocity. So yeah, you could you could dial in three inches high at a hundred, and you could hold top of their back at four. Yeah, max point blank range. So here's the funny thing: everybody's a hero in their own story they tell themselves. I certainly am. Right, right. everybody is. <laughs> so I, I think the the biggest deal is if you're just going to be honest, make yourself that hero through like 
rigorous practice and training. But when you take people and you put them on a target that they have never shot before, and it's not their setup, I, AKA it's their rifle, their gear, but they didn't set that target up. They didn't know about it beforehand. You say, Hey, just hit this an eight inch plate at 200 from the prone. The amount of people that hit that thing is like single digits. Like, I, had, I mean, it is I that motherfucker offhand. Yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> yeah, but you shoot. That's the difference. I'm not saying there's we'll not try people, tomorrow. Right? See if I can do it. Yeah, there's not people that I, I. There's a so if you do the math right, like because because everybody wants to go like, well, I shoot PRS and I shoot and blah blah. blah. Okay, great. How many PRS shooters are in a country? Oh, we just I just looked at mm. the total competition shooters, not yes. just eighty thousand. No, Total that's compet- shotgunners and everything. That's the whole shooting match. Competition. So, so PRS, there's like three, is it 300? I have Or no 600 idea. registered PRS competitors active. Total, I've seen numbers where people are trying to do it. It's like 1,500 max in the country. That's, PRS. That's, PR, any type of like long range match like that. I think Field the match. NRL Hunter's probably done a little, they've done, they have like a minimum energy requirement in order to in the, shoot, which makes it, a little more applicable to the hunting scenario. It tries to. It misses the mark because they don't understand it, right? It's, I'm not. I don't mean this in any way. It's PRS shooters trying to apply that to hunting when they don't understand what they're doing, right? Mm. And basically, it's we don't want you shooting six mils because it's called treat. It's a it's a six cheater for a I reason. Post, I posted that up the other day. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but even if you do that, there are millions of big game hunters. There's a thousand dudes who compete and shoot. Mm. Okay, do the math. That It is not 99% of hunters. Mm-hmm. It is the amount of shooters that are shooting enough to reliably hit beyond six. And I'm, yes, there's people that don't compete that shoot a lot. Yet, man, there. If, if that is you, you are so in the minority, it's not even funny. Go to a public range before season and see what reality is. What about if you, I mean, your kid, you see these kids going out shooting deer and elk at 600 yards. Why? Why are you trying to start some stuff, Ryan? No, I'm just, I'm just being devil's advocate. Why? Why would you, would you, would you let your five year old take off and land a plane by himself his first time without you being there? I think so the, the issue you're is onto something, though. So there's the, somebody there. Well, so here's the problem: if I let, if I, if I let somebody take control, I'm not a pilot, but if I let somebody take control of the sticks and fly that aircraft, I can take it away from them when they start screwing up. Mm-hmm. You can't take a gun away from a kid. Like, he starts screwing up as the bullet is in the barrel. You can't take it away from him before the bullet leaves the barrel. The damn it, he's already crashed the plane, Mm -hmm. right? That's what you're doing. So, no, like, that's a whole nother subject. But it is is easy enough. If what I've seen, we take a lot of new shooters hunting, right? Three to four a year, brand new. The place we hunt, where we just got done hunting, has got a new rule. If they're not fully like vetted by, by the form and Ryan show, they don't come hunt anymore because of the amount of issues. And we're talking people that's hunted for fifty years consistently, right? But again, people are honest about the amount of crap shows that happen on animals, and it's it's the difference between you can shoot and you've been taught correctly. And the difference of like, yeah, I hunt and you shoot, but you haven't done this is huge when you're talking animals and herds and different distances and all this, right? You can take a kid with 200 rounds and teach him how to shoot. My, this is my thing. 
No one should hunt that cannot fully and completely operate or use that equipment without help. If a child is too small or too weak to pick a gun up and shoot it offhand, they shouldn't be shooting that gun. There's a lot of reasons for that. One is just the fundamental aspect is it's a lethal implement. They should be able to handle it. I don't care if it's on a tripod and locked in. Okay, yeah, you've eliminated the handling the gun part because you load it for them. You do everything. No kid plays a video game as if as soon as you give it to them, they win it. Like you're taking the entire adventure part of hunting out. Like shooting kids in general don't want to sit in a box blind looking over a green field and press a button like it's a video game, except it's even worse because they're not moving their character, right? It's like what people do with little kids when they set them up at 600 yards to shoot an elk or 800 yards, they might as well just be like, in a video game, they put the reticle on a stationary object. The kid came up and pushed a button. There's nothing to it. You've done nothing. Like, yeah, sure, let your kids shoot 600 yards. Why when they're practicing correct. up on this? What are you, what are you doing there? He you hates want, me. Do you want a good podcast? Do you want an average podcast? <laughs> well, we're going to have to cut. And start I don't know what's episode. up with your clock, but it's gone well, fucking haywire. It, it, doesn't even, it doesn't have triple digits. It's rolled over from 99. So it's 113 <laughs> minutes right now. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, so we're approaching two hours. So. Oh yeah, we're at one fifty-seven. Yeah, you got anything else? Uh, I I think it was fantastic. I think just you know, this podcast should always speak to the general average hunters that are out there trying to listen and learn something. And I think that there was a lot of uh, good information. I learned a lot. Um, but don't you know? Don't think that you need to be the guy that comes out there and all of a sudden starts dropping your fucking hunting rifle before you go hunting. No, there's so you much. Know, no. There's so no. much. There's so much to that. But right? when faced with when faced with the choice, if if you are if you have the means, when faced with the choice of what scope to put on your hunting rifle, you know there's been some some good information for that too, and uh, yeah, and 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 the fact that your rifle scope holding zero is the second most important part of not missing. Yeah. Now that, that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah, that's something I mean, that everybody guys chooses. Guys need to give that more thought yep. and more effort. And the rifle losing zero is a thing, right? There's way to, to fasten screws to a rifle and bedding and all kinds of stuff that. So when you that. miss, when you miss with the rifle, you know, don't don't just dismiss it. There you go. Yeah, you know, put some work into it. Troubleshoot. Try to make your rifle a, a more consistent package when you go hunt. Anything else for him? Shoot more. Shoot more. <laughs> hey, more. And like I've always said, Rockslide, what I've said from the beginning, we report, you decide. Right? All we're doing is putting the information in front of you. You take it for what it's worth. If you don't want to listen, I mean, I don't, I'm not calling you stupid, but you, you know, we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. Hey, you can go to go please to podcast at shoottohunt.com. Tell us what we did wrong. Tell us what we did right. Tell us what we lied about. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that uh, are either either with us or against us. So let us know. Thanks for listening.